0: So, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Lucas. Uh, I, um, my wife and I have been down in the city of St. Louis for about 10 years in North St. Louis. We've lived there. We started a ministry called Love to Lou. And uh, you all, as a church, were the first supporters, first church supporters that we had. And so, I, I mean, this is family. Some of us go way, way back, looking at uh, Marvin and Diana uh, they knew me when I was yay tall. Uh, so we, yeah, yeah, this is, this is family for me, and so I'm really excited to be here. I've got a story to start off uh, this morning. Uh, this is a story of, of a youth minister who was mentoring several teenagers, and one day as a spiritual exercise, he took them to two different settings, two different locations with one spiritual assignment, and that was that they were to find God. God. Okay, find evidence of the glory and splendor of God. And so the first setting he took them to was a rural setting. He, uh, he took them to an older cabin next to a five-acre lake in the heart of southeast Missouri. And they spent three hours there with their assignment. Find evidence of God. And uh, each of them were given uh, notebooks and uh, journals they were to write down uh, everything that they could see a God in. And when the exercise was over, he brought the five students together, and uh, he asked them to share their experience. He said, tell me about the lake. And uh, I don't know if you know, if you've had experiences similar to this, but, the, but these kids had written pages, and they went on and on about this cabin on the lake. He said, they said the, the fields and forests were alive. Each tree appeared to clap its hands, cheering on the majesty of God, of the creator, the almighty God. Songbirds were calling back and forth to each other. Praise him, praise him. He's the giver of life. Nothing compares to him. Nothing compares to his majestic splendor. These students saw God in the bushes, in the shimmering water, even the gentle breeze blowing. God was evident in the tadpoles, swimming near the water's surface and also the vast expanse of the clouds that stretched out like fluffy pillows in the sky. One of the young men, he said, it reminded him of rest. He said, I could stay here for hours just soaking up this creation, this glory of God. Each student had pages and pages of notes from the lake. And after lunch, they packed up their bags. They took the two, uh, two-hour trek up. I-55 to their second setting, downtown area of St. Louis, and that evening, that afternoon leading into the evening, youth minister, he sat them down, and he said, I want you to do the exact same thing here in the city. Go find God, and so uh, when their three hours was up, he brought them all together. Now, I don't know if you know where this is going or not, but he, uh, he had the disciples, these young, these young students, uh, turn to their notebooks, and tell them about the city. And uh, it was a very different experience that they had in the downtown area. Most of the kids only completed a single page. Their excitement had dulled considerably, and finally, one young man, he spoke up and said what the rest were thinking. He said, well, this is hard. It was hard to see God here. It was much harder. There's so much concrete. It's noisy. People are yelling. You can't feel the same gentle breeze. It's just bus exhaust. Another one had written that they kept hearing car horns and sirens and all they could think about was how much we've fallen as a society. How sinful man is. People all around were begging. There's so much need. Not sure anyone even knows it. There's cardboard signs focused on the temporary, but no one seems to be thinking about the eternal. One of the, one of the girls, she wrote... Honestly, it just showed me that life uh, is one big distraction. I know that God created each one of these lives, but this doesn't seem like true life. The buildings block the sun and sky, and they only seem to point to the loftiness of man's ideas. Finally, one of the young men, he asked, he said, what's the point? You just want us to see that God has abandoned the city or that somehow man has, has abandoned God? It's obvious that God's presence is easier to see out, you know, by the lake. The older, wise youth minister, he chuckled. He said, no, no, actually, that's not the point. He said, it's quite the contrary. I used to see the world the same way you're describing it, and I understand exactly where you're coming from. However, when God, when God comes into our lives, he begins to shape our hearts, he begins to mold them differently begins to shape the way that we see people, the way that we would see the world. He changes the way we would look at things. And then the youth minister began to point around the downtown area. He said, over there at that justice center, God's all over that place. The man with the cardboard sign, he's going to get fed. That woman who needs a place to stay God's going to take care of her. The teenage boy who pulled a cigarette lighter out of his pocket. The children coughing. The older man with the blanket. The frazzled mother pushing a stroller. All of them, all of them represent our almighty God. God didn't stop stop walking by you. He's all around here. Do you see him? And then he opened up to Matthew chapter 25. And he began to read. He said, Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by the Father, take your inheritance. When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. And they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life. So I wanted to tell you this story to begin with because I think that Jesus wants us to take him seriously. I think Jesus wants us to take him at his word. And when we take him at his word, we're going to see him in every person that has need. This means that God is alive and active in places that many think are spiritually dark. It means that God is alive and active in many seasons and times where we assume it's spiritually dark. It means that God is alive and active during pandemics and years like 2020 when we would assume it's spiritually dark. There's nothing good here. Some good news that I have for you today is that God is alive and active. He's not gone. He's not dead. He's very much at work. Do you see him? Today, I get to, get to share with you about what it's like to unexpectedly meet Jesus. And I've got some really good news. We're going to leave here. In fact, we're going to be here and we're going to get to meet Jesus. And when we leave, we can still meet up with him. You're, you're going to go to lunch today. You're going to go home today. You, you might even get a chance to go to a grocery store today. And you're going to meet up. With Jesus it's here in his word he's alive and active so let me ask you the question when is the last time that you came face to face with Jesus for, I've struggled with this passage for about 20 years now it's not an easy scripture um, I don't know if you notice this but if you open up your Bible and you you turn to Matthew chapter 25 there's not a footnote in there that says by the way God has saved us all by his grace, obviously. Uh, There's no work that anyone can do to the Father. So if you go find a poor person today and help them, it doesn't automatically get you into heaven. That's not in the Bible. That's not a footnote in there. It's like what Keith Green famously said. He said, the only difference between the sheep and the goats, these two groups of people, according to what the scriptures, is what they did and didn't do. That's it. And that's frustrating for, for all of us as we're reading the Bible because we, we hear sermons all the time that it's all about the grace of God. It's not about any of our work. And yet this seems to be a lot of our work. And so how do we wrestle with that? I've 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 uh, I've had three different times where this passage has spoken to me in, in my life. And so I'm gonna share a little bit of my testimony with you guys today. Uh, this is three different times, three different snapshots of, of when Matthew 25 has really come alive to me in my life. Uh, the first one, I was 17 years old, um, I was a child of the 90s, I was in high school, and uh, had a bowl cut, uh, had baggy jeans. You guys, this is totally a side note here, you realize that the bowl cut is making a comeback? I was in Target the other day, okay? I saw not one, but two people, two individuals that I think were normal. And they had like a bowl cut, like somebody had placed a bowl on their head and, and cut around there. And you know that progressive commercial? Sorry, this is getting off topic. You know that progressive commercial where, you know, don't become like your parents, that one? You know, and, and the, the guy walks by with the blue hair and they're like, we all see it. We all see it. That was my wife. She was like, "Lucas, we all see it. We all see it." And I just wanted to go touch it or just ask them, you know, why, why? Anyways, um, it was the '90s. I was 17 years old, and I read Matthew 25. I read this passage for the first time, and maybe I had heard it in a sermon before, but but it really landed, and it was a revelation. Because I went to this high school where pretty much everybody considered themselves a Christian, you know. And they would all say it, but then they didn't live it. And I don't know if you've ever struggled with that, but I hadn't up until this point. And I began to look around at all my friends, and they were one way on Sunday. They were another way on Saturday. They were another way at school, another way around their family. And we were a bunch of hypocrites, a bunch of goats. Like, like this is a judgment scene. At some point, I'm going to fall here, so just get ready. <laughs> this is a judgment scene here, and, and I, I honestly read this, and I was like, oh, good grief. We're all in trouble. Because I looked around, and I saw the hypocrisy of Christians claiming Jesus but living a different way. I don't know if you if you notice this. I remember reading this passage, and seeing okay, Jesus is coming back. I guess I better find some poor people or something. Read, read verse thirty one here. It says, "When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people." one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. There's three characters listed in this story. Three main characters. The first is the Son of Man, Jesus. And this is not buddy Jesus. This is not Jesus with the blonde hair, smiling, you know, beckoning you, coming. You know, like this is almighty ruler Jesus on a throne. There's a passage in Revelation where it it talks about this second coming and Jesus has a sword coming out of his mouth. That's awesome, all right? That's intense. That is not buddy Jesus. This is Jesus who is going to judge, risen, exalted Jesus, and he's surrounded by his angels. These are not just a handful of angels. This isn't a children's choir. It's a glorious scene. A revelation-type scene where the Son of Man is, is surrounded by a stadium full. 100,000 angels, angelic voices, singing his praises. He is the one worthy. And then there's humanity. As Jesus sits down, he's going to judge the world. And all the nations are gathered around him. And he judges based on how we treat each other. Specifically, how we treat the least of these. And I was, once again, a child of the 90s, so I had listened to Cake. Don't know if you've heard it, but sheep go to heaven, goats go to hell. And I could summarize this chapter of my life by saying, I don't want to be a goat. Don't want to go to hell. And therefore, I'm going to go do whatever he says. Um, then I was introduced later on kind of the second phase of my life. I was introduced to a guy named Rich Mullins. Uh, Not literally, Rich was dead at this time. Um, But I started listening to his music and his message. And so my second encounter with this passage uh, started with a quote by him. There it is. Um, And this, you might not be able to read all of that, but I'll I'll, I'll say he said, um, and Rich was, he was in a concert and he said this and it blew me away. Because it didn't sound like any of the preachers I had heard uh, talk about Jesus. But he said, Jesus said, whatever you do for the least of these, my brothers, you've done it for me. And this is what I've come to think. That if I want to identify fully with Jesus Christ, who I claim to be my my Savior and Lord, the best way that I can do that is to identify with the poor. Then he says, this I know will go against the teachings of all the popular evangelical preachers but they're just wrong they're not bad they're just wrong christianity is about learning to love like jesus loved and jesus loved the poor and jesus loved the brokenhearted there's something that brought meaning and purpose to my lives i was a junior in college when i heard that i began to meditate on this idea that that jesus just loved being with poor people And that he always looked for the downtrodden. And he would say things like, blessed are the poor in spirit. And then, you guys are getting ready to read through Luke. In Luke, he doesn't even include the spirit part. He just says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who are crying all the time. Jesus has this heart for those that are broken. And so I was was really convicted and at the time, I was living uh, in a dorm, and my roommate, uh, his name was Matt Campbell, we had, a, we had a super popular band called the Matt and Lucas Band, that's no, neither here nor there. And we almost broke up because I got really convicted and decided that I was going to give away all my possessions. I was just going to, like, sell out for Jesus. And that was awesome, Right? It was great for me to sacrifice. The problem is that Matt Campbell was my roommate and my, the, the co-partner of the band, and uh, most of the possessions that I had were actually his. <laughs> so I went out, and I just gave it all away, and then the next day, he's like, hey, dude, where are all my CDs? Where's the food in the fridge? Where, like, like, and his mom was mad at me because she had... She had stocked that fridge with some really good groceries that I found a bunch of homeless guys to take. Anyways, I say all of that to say that at this point in my life, I did take it seriously, uh, but, but kind of went overboard uh, in some ways. Um, it, 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 there, were, there were some people that spoke to me during this time. And uh, uh, besides Jesus, Mother Teresa was one that I really was able to... Uh, learned some great lessons for, from. She said at one point in her life, um, she was asked about uh, some of the dramatic conversations she had with people. And, and poor people and rich people alike uh, were drawn to her and were changed by her. And she said, I believe in person-to-person contact. Every person is Christ for me. And since there's only one Jesus— the person I'm meeting is the one person in the world at that moment. Basically, her philosophy was to go into the slums or wherever she would go, and that person that she was meeting with, she treated like Jesus. That was an awesome attitude. I loved that attitude. I loved what Jesus would say when Jesus kind of came along with this radical message. It said, deny yourself. De- that, that if you want to be the greatest, then you need to become the least. If you want to find your life, you're going to lose it. And Jesus, uh, the words of Jesus became kind of a radical message for me where I decided, man, I'm ready to follow him wherever, even if it means follow him to my own death. Mother Teresa, I don't know uh, how much you've, you've heard about her life, um, but she she basically gave up everything, moved to the slums of Calcutta, and she didn't just move there, she became one with the people, meaning she would eat what they ate, she would sleep where they slept, she would live her life very much like the poor, the impoverished there in um, uh, one of the poorest parts of the world at the time. Um, This actually went against a lot of uh, the wisdom from the church during that day and age because they said how in the world will you have anything to offer these people if you're hungry, if you don't have any energy, if you, haven't, you know, don't have a bed to sleep on? How, you don't have anything to give them. And she, and she was famous for saying, well, God will provide that. The Spirit will fill me up so that I have something to offer. And, the, and her ministry exploded throughout India. At some point, the Catholic Church asked her to go to Venezuela and do the same thing and start up some Daughters of Charity Ministries there. And she did. And then the, the church asked her to go to London and New York City. And at this point in her life, when she went to these places and she was, she said, um, it's very different here. <laughs> she said, and she was with drug addicts and prostitutes and she said that the, the poverty is even worse in New York City, in London, because, because they have some material things, but they have no idea who they are. They have no idea of their purpose. They have no idea. It, it was a spiritual poverty. It was a mental poverty that the people were in. And so her heart broke for, for not just people that were materially poor, but that also people that had means, that had food on the table, but just didn't recognize what they were created for. And so, once again, th- this is not going to be a sermon that says we all need to move to Africa uh, or India. That, that actually is something I thought at one point when I was in college. I thought, hey, if you're, if you're somehow rich, then you're sinful, that you're sinning. Um, but that's not necessarily in Scripture. The Scripture says it's hard <laughs> for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, but it doesn't say it's sinful to have possessions. It doesn't say that. And so um, I'll ask the question again, uh, when was the last time that you came face-to-face with Jesus? Because it's not necessarily that, that the least of these is going to have to mean We have to go to the poorest of the poor, materially poor. If I've learned anything from Jesus or or others, it's that poverty is all around us. And a lot of times, it's it's the way we're we're even thinking. Jesus uh, began to change my heart even more um, recently. At one point, this was really early on, and I think I even said this the last time I was here, but um, as just kind of a confession, but but when we first started uh, with Love to Lou, my wife and I had moved down to North St. Louis and we were kind of in this war where there were a lot of drive-by shootings, there was a lot of stuff. And we would have a lot of people from the county come and pat us on the back and say, we're so proud of you um, and thank you for doing that. And I actually became really resentful um, for, For about six months or so there was a period of time where I just kind of looked at everybody that wasn't doing what we were doing as well you just need to get with the times or something you know something like an attitude of judgment and God started to change my heart um, to kind of this third phase and he brought me back to this this passage and and so I don't I I don't have that view (laughs) anymore um but, but there's something in this passage that's really important for us to, uh, to see. And so it's a third phase that I've kind of, I've kind of seen myself uh, enter into. And so I, w- I want to see if you can catch it too. Uh, it says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. or in prison, and go to visit you. I don't know if you caught it. Anybody catch it? Uh, do you notice the surprise here? The sheep, the sheep they hear this, and they're, they're mystified. Jesus, thank you so much for your commendation, uh, but I don't remember seeing you naked. I don't remember seeing you in prison. That doesn't seem like something a son of man would do. Could you remind me when you needed something to drink? They're, they're surprised, and they're not just surprised at the fact that Jesus is making a connection to people and himself. They're surprised at the actions. The sheep are surprised because these are ordinary actions that they were always doing. They just didn't expect Jesus to be in the middle of all of it. It didn't seem like a spiritual practice. It's just what we do as sheep, it's just what we do as Christians. We just do these things. This, the point of this, this story, this parable here, this, this scene, is not to say that we need to start a, a homeless ministry, a prison ministry, a thirsting, get-your-drink ministry, you know, like, like all of that. That's, that's not the point. The point uh, is, is not that it's a checklist, It's not that we all have to go move to Calcutta. The point is that when we are filled up with the Spirit, we'll end up doing the right actions without even realizing it. So let me say that one more time. Because when we first read this, you can start to, your heart can start to pound and you're like, I don't want to be a goat, I don't want to be a goat. What do I have to do? And we go into checklist mode as people, but that's not the point. The point is that when you are filled with the Spirit, the things that you will do that seem everyday, ordinary, yeah, I just helped her. Yeah, I just gave that person some money. We were were a small group, and we knew that there was a need, and so we gathered the resources we had together and went out and met the need. Those everyday actions of a church getting together and saying, we'll... We'll gather food for the Love the Lou family just down there. We'll, we'll gather coats so that people in the winter won't have them. We'll make sure that people are, are visited, you know, when they're, when they're lonely. All of those everyday ordinary actions that the Spirit prompts us to do, that's what it's talking about. It's a life change. It's gospel transformation. So, we need to stop keeping score. We need to stop the checklist and we need to accept the spirit. We need to allow him to lead. We're going to start caring for people that we never thought we would even care about when we do this. Guys, this is really important and I want you to, to tie all of this together that I'm not asking you to come down to the city right now. Because because the year that we just went through, there are a lot of hurting people all over the place. You don't have to go far. And I can guarantee you that if you pick up your phone today, you can start scrolling and find names of people that need to be reached out to. They're in our lives. They're in our communities. They're, They're here. So Jesus is telling us, that the people who have been changed by his grace do good to others without even thinking about it it's natural it's not putting god in debt it's not a checklist it's not prideful the goats heard this and and they grumbled they're like are you kidding me <laughs> that's it like yeah i mean i shop at goodwill like every week you're telling me that all I had to do was just cross the street and, or help an old lady or something? That's, that's it. And so they, they couldn't capture it either. But Jesus is talking about a heart change, a mind change, not just the checklist. This is simply about allowing Jesus to fill up our hearts one more time so that in the overflow, the simple everyday actions, the boring stuff, that it meets the needs of those that God desperately cares about. So, let me ask you the question one more time. When's the last time you came face to face with Jesus? And are you ready to meet him today? Let's pray. God, I want to pray over our family here. I want to ask that as we head into a new year, that this is the beginning of a new chapter. God, where we are changed by you, continually changed by you, to see others as you see them. Jesus, I thank you for the heart that you give us. And I'm praying that we can be faithful to that heart, that um, as we look out and see those in need, even if we don't have anything material to give, that we would be able to pour out in a supernatural, radical way. Like only you can do, God. We thank you so much for your grace. And we thank you for the way that you change us. We pray this in your name. Amen.